0: Soft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, Episode 24, The Slate. From that very next day, then, after he was received into the cottage on Glashgar, Gibby, as a matter of course, took upon him the work his hand could find to do, and Janet averred to her husband that never had any of her daughters been more useful to her. At the same time, however, she insisted that Robert should take the boy out with him. She would not have him do woman's work, especially work for which she was herself perfectly able she had not come to her years, she said, to learn idle set, and the boy would save Robert many a weary step among the hills. He cannot speck to the dog, objected Robert, giving utterance to the first difficulty that suggests itself. The dog cannot speck himself, returned Janet, and the waner is he can't understand Watkins, but he may come full nigher instant, as speechless like himself ye Guy the crowd or the chance he'll make himself plain to the dog. Ye just try him, ye him, him to tell the dog, say and say, and see what he'll come o' to." Robert made the experiment, and proved satisfactory. As soon as he had received Robert's orders, Gibby claimed Oscar's attention. The dog looked up in his face, noted every glance and gesture, and partly from sympathetic instinct, that gift lying so near the very essence of life partly from observation of the state of affairs in respect of the sheep, guessed with certainty what the duty required of him was, and was off like a shot. "'The twa dumb understand, and anther better nor I understand either o' them,' said Robert to his wife, when they came home. And now, indeed, it was a blessed time for Gibbie. It had been pleasant down in the valley with the cattle and donnel, and foul weather sometimes but now it was the full glow of summer the sweet keen air of the mountain bathed him as he ran entered into him filled him with life like the new wine of the kingdom of god and the whole world rose in its glory around him surely it is not the outspread sea however the sight of its storms and its laboring ships man has the sense of safety to the onlooker But the outspread land of peace and plenty, with its nestling houses, its well-stocked yards, its cattle feeding in the meadows, and its men and horses that labor in the fields that gives the deepest delight to the heart of the poet. Gibby was one of the meek, and inherited the earth. Throned on the mountain, he beheld the multiform goings-on of life, and in love possessed the whole. He was of the poet kind also, and now that he was a shepherd, saw everything with shepherd eyes. One moment, to his fancy, the great sun above played the shepherd to the world. The winds were the dogs, and the men and women the sheep, the next in higher mood. He would remember the good shepherd, of whom Janet had read to him, and pat the head of the collie that lay beside him. Oscar, too, was a shepherd, and no harrowing. He fed the sheep. He turned them from danger and barrenness, and he barked well said Gibby to himself, not knowing that he was really a copy and small of the Good Shepherd. But maybe there may be more nor a gate, O barking than what a joy it was to the heaven-born obedience of the child, to hearken to every word, watch every look, divine every wish of the old man. Gibby waited on Robert, for he was to him the embodiment of all that was reverend and worthy. A very gulf of wisdom, a mountain of rectitude. Gibby was one of those few elect natures To whom obedience is a delight, A creature so different from the vulgar That they have but one tentacle They can reach such with that of contempt. I just loathe the Baron, As the vera apple my eye, said Robert, I can scarce can save a wuss, But there's the cratur with a-, a grip o' it. He seems to ken what's risin' in my mind, and in a moment he's up like the dog to be ready and looks at me waiting. Nor was it long before the town-bred child grew to love the heavens almost as dearly as the earth. He would gaze and gaze at the clouds as they came and went, and watching them with the wi- and the wind, weighing the heat and the cold, and marking many indications, known some of them perhaps only to himself, understood the signs of the earthly times at length nearly as well as an insect or a swallow, and far better than long experienced old Robert. The mountain was Gibby's very home, yet to see him far up on it, in the red glow of the setting sun, with his dog as obedient as himself, hanging upon his every signal. One could have fancied him a shepherd boy, come down from the plains of heaven to look after a lost lamb. Often when the two old people were in bed and asleep, Gibby would be out watching the moon rise, seated still on a stone of the mountainside, Allen in space. Nothing alive and visible near him, perhaps not even a solitary night wind blowing and ceasing like the breath of a man's life and the awfully silent moon sliding up from the hollow of a valley below. If the nightly mountain was the prayer closet of him who said he would be with his disciples to the end of the world, he would hold talk with such a child alone under the heaven, in the presence of the Father of both. Gibby never thought about himself. There is no forgetting of ourselves, but in the finding of our deeper, our true self, God's idea of us, when he devised us, the Christ in us. Nothing but that self can displace the false, greedy, whining self, of which most of us are so fond and proud for. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Then there was the delight fresh every week of the saturday gathering of the brothers and sisters whom gibbie could hardly have loved more had they been of his own immediate kin dearest of all was donna whose greeting wheel cryder was heavenly in gibbie's ears Donal would have had him go down and spend a day every now and then with him in the nout, as in, in old times so soon the times grow old to the young, but Janet would not hear of it, until the, until the tale of the brownie should have quite blown over. Eh, but I was, she added, as she said so, I could win at something about his folk, or even where he came from, or what they could do, caught him. Never a word has the cratter spoken. Ye said learn him to read, Mither, said Donald. Ooh, what I'd do that, lady? I wad had to learn him to spake first. Returned Janet. Let him come down to me, and I'll try my hand. Said Donald. Janet, notwithstanding, persisted in her refusal for the present. But by Donald's words set thinking of the matter. However, she now pondered the question day after day how she might teach him to read, and at last the idea dawned upon her to substitute writing for speech. She took the shorter catechism, which in those days had always an alphabet, as janitor to the gates of its mysteries, who, with the catechism, as a consequence even dimly foreboded, would even have learned it, and showed Gibby the letters, naming each several times and going over them repeatedly. Then she gave him Donald's school-slate, with a sclet pike, and said, him mwokul, a, a cratter Gibby did so, and well, too. She found that already he knew about half the letters. He's smart, she said to herself in triumph. The other half soon followed, and she then began to show him words, not in the Catechism, but in the New Testament, having told him what any word was, and led him to consider the letters composing it. She would desire him to make it on the slate, and he would do so with tolerable accuracy. She was not very severe about the spelling. If only it was plain he knew the word. Ere long he began to devise short ways of making the letters, and soon wrote with remarkable facility in a character modified from the printed letters. When at length Janet saw him take the book by himself and sit pondering over it, she had not a doubt. He was understanding it, and her heart leapt for joy. He had to ask her a good many words at first, and often the meaning of one and another, but he seldom asked a question twice, and as his understanding was far ahead of his reading he was able to test a conjectured meaning by the sense or nonsense it made of the passage one day she turned him to the paraphrases at once to his astonishment he found there all silent yet still the same delight which Donal used to divide to him from the book of balance. His joy was unbounded. He jumped from his seat. He danced and laughed, and finally stood upon one leg. No other mode of expression but this. The expression of utter failure to express was of avail to the relief of his feeling. Metrical paraphrases of passages of Scripture, always to be found at the end of the Bibles printed for Scotland, One day, a few weeks after Gibby had begun to read by himself, Janet became aware that he was sitting on his stool in what had come to be called the Crater's Corner, more than usually absorbed in some attempt with slate and pencil. Now ceasing, lost in thought, and now commencing anew, she went near and peeped over his shoulder. At the top of the state he had written the word give, then the word giving, and below them gib then Gibbing. Upon these followed Gib again, and he was now plainly meditating something further. Suddenly he seemed to find what he wanted, for in haste, almost as if he feared it might escape him, he added a Y, making the word Gibby. Then first lifted his head and looked round, evidently seeking her. She laid her hand on his head. He jumped up with one of his most radiant smiles, and holding out the slate to her, pointed with his pencil to the word he had just completed. She did not know it for a word, but sounded it as it seemed to, s- to stand, making the g-, g soft, as I dare say some of my readers, not recognizing in Gibby the diminutive of Gilbert, may have treated its more accurate form. He shook his head sharply, and laid the point of his pencil upon the G of the give word written above. Janet had been his teacher too long not to see what he meant, and immediately pronounced the word as he would have it. Upon this he began a wild dance but sobering suddenly sat down, and was instantly again absorbed in further attempt. It lasted so long that Janet resumed her previous household occupation. At length he rose, and with thoughtful, doubtful contemplation of what he had done, brought her the slate. There, under the foregone success, he had written the words, Galatians, and Breath, and under them, Galbraith. She read them all, and at the last, which witnessing to his success, she pronounced her satisfaction. He began another dance, which again he ended abruptly to draw her attention once more to the slate. He pointed to the Gibbie first, and the breath next, and she read them together. This time he did not dance, but seemed waiting some result. Bon Janet, the idea was dawning that he meant himself, but she was thrown out by the cock. Noman's correspondence with that of the laird, which suggested that the boy had been merely attempting the name of the great man of the district. With this in her mind, and doubtfully feeling her way, she essayed the tentative of setting him right in the Christian name, and said, Thomas, Thomas Galbraith. Gibby shook his head as before, and again resumed his seat. Presently he brought her the slate, with all the rest rubbed out, and these words standing alone Sir Gibby Galbraith. Janet read them aloud, whereupon Gibby began stabbing his forehead with the point of his slate-pencil and dancing once more in triumph. He had, he hoped, for the first time in his life, conveyed a fact through words. "'That's what they kai ye is it?' said Janet, looking motherly at him. "'Sir Gibby Galbraith?' Gibby nodded vehemently. "'It'll be some nickname the Baron's hey, gin ye him,' said Janet to herself, but continued to gaze at him in questioning doubt of her own solution." She could not recall having ever heard of a sir in the family, but memories of things forgotten kept rising formless and thin in the sky of her memory. Had she never heard of a sir somebody, Galbraith, somewhere? And still she stared at the child, trying to grasp what she could not even see. By this time Gibby was standing quite still, staring at her in return. He could not think what made her stare so at him. "'What called ye that?' said Janet at length, pointing to the slate. Gibby took the slate, dropped upon his seat, and after a considerable cogitation and effort brought her the words, Gibby's fopper. Janet for a p- moment was puzzled, but when she thought of correcting the P with a T, Gibby entirely an- approved. "'What was your father, Cratter?' she asked. Gibby, after a long pause and more evident labor than hitherto, brought her the enigmatical word, a suture, lying about in her head quite defeated Janet. Perceiving his failure, he jumped upon a chair, and reaching after one of Robert's Sunday shoes on the crap-o, the wall, the natural shelf running all around the cottage, formed by the top of the wall, where the rafters rested, caught hold of it, tumbled with it upon his creepy, took it between his knees, and began a pantomime of the making or mending of the same, with such verisimilitude of imitation that it was clear to Janet he must have been familiar with the processes collectively called shoemaking, and therewith she recognized the word on the slate, a suitor. She smiled herself at the association of name and trade, and concluded that the sir at last was a nickname, And yet, and yet, whether from the presence of some rudiment of an old memory, or from something about the boy that belonged to a higher style than his present showing, her mind kept swaying in an uncertainty whose very object eluded her. What is ter yer wool at week ye then, Cratter? she asked, anxious to meet the child's own idea of himself. He pointed to the gibby. Weel gibby, responded Janet and at this word, now for the first time addressed by her to himself, he began dancing more wildly than ever, and ended with a standing motionless on one leg. Now, first and last, he was fully recognized for what he was, Will Gibby. "'Ul's oh, ye okay. you ye think fit,' said Janet. "'And no, gang, yer was, Gibby. And see, at Krumu's no o'er oh, far odo oh, sent.' From that hour, Gibby had his name from the whole family, his Christian name only. However, Robert and Janet, having agreed it would be wise to avoid whatever might possibly, bring the boy again under the notice of the laird. The latter half of his name they laid aside for him as parents do a dangerous or overvaluable gift to a child. Thank you for listening to another episode of Agersoft Story Classic.